Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee, a servant of the Lord for over seven decades on five continents, culminated his ministry with a 21-year book-by-book exposition of the entire Bible, which he called a life study. This life study is the basis of our program today, which includes short portions of the spoken messages given by Witness Lee. Now, let's join today's life study. When we consider the leading ministries, the most respected Christian workers of the day, what kind of image of their life do we have? Well, most of the well-known seem to be quite successful, even by worldly standards. They are honored, respected, for the most part, seem well-off, able to live a very comfortable life. But what about at the time of the New Testament? The leading apostle for most of that era was the Apostle Paul. Of course, he wrote the bulk of the New Testament. What kind of living did he enjoy? Well, from his autobiographical comments found in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we get a glimpse. For I think God has set forth us, the apostles, last of all, as doomed to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools because of Christ, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are glorious, but... We are dishonored. Until the present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and buffeted and wander without a home. And we labor, working with our own hands. Reviled, we bless. Persecuted, we endure. Defamed, we exhort. We have become as the off-scouring of the world, the scum of all things until now. Gary Evans has joined us as we have a chance to fellowship about the life of the apostles in the first century. Quite a picture, isn't it, Gary? It's a picture that is startling when you compare it with the situation today. Let's talk about that for just a moment. Of course, we don't mean to imply that there's anything wrong with the fact that God can supply and would supply one of his uh, workers in a you know, a comfortable manner and in a good setting and a good home with a, a good car. And we all expect to have such as we live in this current era. But really, to associate those things with a kind of a spiritual attainment, I think that is really the temptation that we have to be wary of, isn't it, in this era? That's a problem that we all have to guard ourselves against. You know, during the days of the Puritans, one of their downfalls was that they considered that one of the evidences that the Lord was with you, that you had really become a saved person, that you were right with God and you were going to enter into eternal life, one of the evidences of that was that you had a blessed life. And uh-huh. what they meant by that, Chris, was that you had a life that was materialistically prosperous. And so your prosperity was probably the best evidence that you were a saved person. So they worked hard, and the result was a 100 years later, a very worldly, materialistic America. And it's almost the same disease coming about today. A lot of Christians consider that if you really are under God's blessing, then you'll have five diamond rings on your hand or live in a wonderful mansion. The material goods that you have Mm -hmm. to them are evidence that God is with you. Even one time I had a very close friend talk to me. We were taking a car ride, and, and he was asking about how I felt about my wife and I and our following the Lord and pursuing the Lord. And I told him we felt very good about it. We felt that the Lord was with us. We were enjoying the Lord so much. And he said, I don't see how you can say that. 
And I said, what do you mean? And he answered, I don't see God's blessing with you. You don't have things. You don't have a good house, a good car. And look at all your other relatives. They're all doing so well. But inwardly, when he was talking that way, I was again freshly supplied by the Lord. Inwardly, the Lord was confirming that God's New Testament way is not necessarily evidenced by outward materialistic supply. Mm. It's a matter of Christ as life and being one spirit with the Lord and living Christ out. Gary, that doesn't mean that we are holding up poverty as an example of spirituality either. I think what the the main point that we're trying to get at is that to equate blessing uh, with material benefit on the one hand, or the lack of blessing with the lack of material benefit, that's where it's off. And if we judged the Apostle Paul on this basis, on this same scale that this friend of yours was uh, uh, judging you on that day, we would have to conclude Paul's ministry was a failure, wouldn't we? Oh, we would. Uh, What if we judged the Lord Jesus Christ himself on that basis? (laughs) Yeah. When he ended his ministry, he hardly had materialistic goods. A rich man had to donate the tomb. And he hardly had a great following. There were only 120 there at the end praying. So after three and a half years, God himself was not materialistically rich, nor did he have a great fan club. Well, Paul is writing these words to his children, really, and he'll even call himself their father in a sense in this coming passage in the church in Corinth. And as we've seen before, these were primarily believers who were from a city with a lot of status in the ancient world. Of course, Corinth was a, a center of commerce, and but more of culture and philosophy and uh, education reigned there. And so he was dealing with a church that had a lot of uh, what we would say probably upper class and highly educated, very sophisticated people. And yet he is dealing with them now, as we see, very intimately, even as a father with his children, as he writes uh, these strong words that we just read. Why don't we join Witness Lee, and then we'll be back for some fellowship. This chapter is very intimate, very intimate, like a, a loving father rebuking a mistaken child. Don't you feel the intimacy in this chapter? Okay, verse 10. We are fools because of Christ. No worldly people understand this word. How could you be fools because of Christ? Does Christ make you foolish? Well, I don't think I need to say anything. You know, you know, every believer in Christ becomes a fool. You you become a fool. So many wise people by birth, when they believe in Christ, they become fools of Christ. We all are fools. Even I'm a fool. An old man, I'm close to 18. Why shouldn't I stay home? Take easy. <laughs> and speak three times a day. Isn't this a fool? We all are fools, you know. Who made us fools? Christ. So we are fools because of Christ. Then we have become as the carrying of the word and as the scum of all things until now. These two Greek words mean the same thing. So Paul here likened himself as criminals doomed to death. 
He likened himself what trash, refuse, rubbish. Not only fools, we are criminals. Not only so, we are just offscreen. We are the scum. We are qualified to be put into the trash. This was Paul's consideration. And this was Paul's estimation of himself in the eyes of the Jews. Gary, all these things that Paul mentions here, to be a fool, and in one sense, I think all of us as believers, we can relate to this a little bit because whether it's with our family, our neighbors, our co-workers, we know many times people consider us, oh, these Christians are the most foolish people. I mean, they just waste their time and go to meetings and uh, do all these things, give their money. Uh, what foolishness. On the one hand, we can all relate to that. But I don't know how many of us have the uh, ability to relate to the other things Paul's talking about here, being the off-scouring and being the scum and being doomed to death as a common criminal uh, might be. Talk about these things a little bit that he's using to describe what his Christian life entailed. Well, that word off-scouring and scum, uh, you can think of it as what's at the bottom of your trash can after the garbage man has emptied it out. The worst possible word you could use. Yet Paul says to the world and to those that oppose him, that's what we are. We're just off-scouring. We're just scum. And I was thinking of these verses, Chris. I'd like to read them to you. It's the Lord Jesus in Matthew 10, 24 and 25. He says, A disciple is not above the teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is sufficient for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they have called the master of the house Bilzebul, how much more those of his household? In other words... We shouldn't expect to achieve a status, a fame, a reputation in this world when the one that we love and the one that we're following had no status or fame. They considered him worthy of the cross. But, Chris, what was the Lord's entrance into glory? What was his gateway? Well, it would have to be the cross. It couldn't have been uh, the success he attained in his earthly ministry. That's right. Our master, the one that we follow, the one that we like to be like, The way he got into glory was through the cross. And just like the master, so the slave. Our path to glory leads also through the cross. So we can expect in this life that we will have oppositions and persecutions. And as you mentioned earlier, the Lord may apportion to us not to have material riches. But we should remember in all the hardships that come our way, even misunderstandings and criticisms, that our path into glory cannot circumvent the cross. That would be to be unlike the master. Mm. We have to follow his footsteps, and his footsteps led through the cross. You know, there's a common misunderstanding of certain great spiritual leaders of the past, such as A.B. Simpson and Andrew Murray and Watchman Nee himself, If you read the books of A.B. Simpson and Andrew Murray and you listen to the way people talk about them today, you would think these people were wonderfully appreciated in their lifetime. Well, there were those that did appreciate them, but actually A.B. Simpson was misunderstood, mocked, ridiculed, often publicly in the newspaper. Andrew Murray had severe critics who were all the time mocking him and criticizing him and trying to turn people away from his ministry. 
likewise Watchman Nee and Witness Lee himself. We know that Witness Lee's ministry has helped so many people and so many appreciate it, but he also has had his critics. What I enjoyed watching personally, Witness Lee do, is take those criticisms, yeah. that name-calling, and cause that to increase Christ in him. Rather than rising up to oppose people that opposed him, right. he prayed for them. All of these brothers were good examples of having a genuine New Testament ministry by being willing to follow the Lord through the cross. Gary, as we go on in this chapter, chapter 4, this is where we really see Paul now beginning to care for the believers in Corinth as his children nearly. Is it not a shame to you that I write these things but to admonish you as my beloved children? For though you have 10,000 guides in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. I exhort you, therefore, become imitators of me. So, Gary, as the Lord showed the pattern, the Apostle Paul followed that pattern, and now we are following in his pattern and that of the faithful ones that have followed in the centuries since, aren't we? Amen. Let's go back to Witness Lee. Now we come to the most intimate, loving point. That is the begetting father. Yes, I am scum, obscuring, but I have begotten our children. I am a begetting father. Verse 14 says, Not achieving you, am I writing these things, but as my beloved children, I admonish you. If I was a child there, I sure would feel shameful. My father, since that I exalted myself, I exalted some others, yet he considered himself as an Oscar, as his cub. Isn't this a shaming word? But Paul says, not assuming you, I'm writing these things, but as my beloved children, I am among you, for though you have 10,000 guides or teachers, tutors in Christ, yet not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. This is a real father. Now, I appeal, therefore, to you, become imitators of me. Children, I appeal to you that you become imitators of me. Don't be a king, but be what? A criminal. Don't be a philosopher, but be what? A scum. Don't be what you have been in the past, but be an imitator of me. Today, we are despised, and we have to in the eyes of men. For Christ's sake, we have to be fools, we have to be a spectacle, we have to be criminals, we have to be scum and obscure. Of course, eventually, you all have to be a father, begetting a father. Then Paul wrote this letter, which was brought to 
the Corinthians by Timothy. In other words, he did not only write an epistle, he also sent a co-worker to see the Corinthians with his epistle. This is not just intimate, but also very personal. Gary, I'd like to talk about this, Paul's use of this term, father. Of course, the Bible also tells us to call no man father, but he's not talking about being a father in the sense of a position or a title. I mean, really, when we touch this term, what we're really touching is the source of life, aren't we? Yes, the word father implies begetting. Uh-huh. When you think of a father, you think of the source of your being, your existence. You know, Chris, in Isaiah 9, 6, there's this phrase, the eternal father. Of course, it's speaking about Christ, and he shall be called the eternal father. And this phrase was used by Athanasius way back in church history in the 300s to prove that God has been from eternity a begetting God, and hence Christ has been from eternity the only begotten Son of God. Mm. The point is, is that God has been eternally a father. They even had this phrase, always a father, always a son. God has always been a father. Christ Christ has always always been been a son. son. Mm. That's right. And so the sense there is that God is a going forth God. But Chris, think about this. When God wanted to beget his life in us, when he wanted us to be born again, to be born of the Spirit, how did he come to us as a father, as a great king, as an exalted person riding a chariot coming down from the sky? No. Chris, he came in a lowly way. God the Father became a son, a man, and he was born in a little manger by a lowly couple, a poor couple in a lowly part of the world. And he lived a human life, not as a great dictator, a great ruler, a great king, but as a lowly servant. So the Father dispensed his life to us by becoming lowly. This is what Paul did with the Corinthians. He followed that pattern. He came as a misunderstood, criticized, dishonored, foolish person, but he brought the divine life to them. And We have to follow the same way, to dispense life to others, to bring the triune God to other people. We have to come not over them, but under them. Just like my wife, I watch her. We have a grandbaby, a little granddaughter, Mm -hmm. and I watch my wife feed her. And she's sitting there in the high chair, the granddaughter, and my wife is trying to feed her. I'll tell you who's the queen. It's the granddaughter. And my wife is the servant under her at her command trying to dispense food to her. Oh, that's a great picture, Gary. Yes. Gary, uh, we have one more uh, short segment and a little time left. uh, And Witness Lee continues this line of this intimate, personal approach that Paul is taking with the believers here that were troubled in so many ways. And Paul is just shepherding them back on the one hand with a rod, on the other hand with love as a father would his dealing with his children. And the picture is quite tender, quite wonderful, isn't it? Marvelous. Let's go back to Witness Lee. In verse 18, he says, Some of you have been puffed up thinking as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you shortly, if the Lord wills. This is New Testament talk. 
Whether I will come, I will not come, it's not up to me. If the Lord wills, I will come. If he does not will, what shall I do? You see? What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod? This is really like a begetting father. Or in love. Just like the father. Asking the children, what do you want? You want a rod? You want some spanking? Or in love. And a spirit of meekness. I don't like to come to you with a rod. I like to come to you in love. With love. And in a spirit of meekness. Was Paul happy or unhappy? In this chapter, he is always both. He is unhappy as well as he is happy. He is meek as well as angry. This is a spiritual person. A spiritual person is one that can be meek when he is very mad. You know, if you are not spiritual, when you got mad, it will take three days for your madness to vanish. I love this chapter. You could see a humanity here. Genuine, no hiding, no pretense, yet full of life. So we all have to learn to be genuine, spiritually. No hiding, no pretending, no playing of politics. Just be what we are in Christ. It is this kind of life that dispenses the unsearchable riches of Christ to his believers. It is this kind of humanity that is qualified to be steward in God's family. Gary, I think it's very interesting that Witness Lee says he loves this chapter. Uh, You know, there's nothing that jumps out in the past uh, from chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians to me, but all you're really seeing is just Paul and his dealing with his spiritual offspring. But when we begin to see what kind of person that Paul is, that's expressed here. Then this chapter really does take on a wonderful significance, doesn't it? Yes, what you see here is Paul living out the humanity of Christ. Paul was so fruitful as a steward because he lived Christ. And Chris, notice I didn't say he lived like Christ. Yeah. I said he lived Christ, just as he mentioned in Philippians 1.21. Right. He says, for to me to live is Christ. Paul lived Christ. To see Paul was to see Christ. Even Martin Luther said a very similar thing. He said, every Christian should be a little Christ. In other words, we believers should be the reproduction of Christ. Christ also can live again through us. And that kind of life, living Christ, makes us a steward who dispenses God into other people. Wonderful uh, note to end on. I think we'll just stop right there. Time is up, but also I think uh, you hit the mark on the last uh, portion. Uh, For us to live is Christ. And this is a possibility, Gary, that we talk about a lot on this program, not just to live, as you said, Christ-like, but it's possible because he is resident within all of us that he can live out of us so that our living really manifests, really expresses him. That's right. 
Gary, really been good to have you a couple of times this week. I hope we get uh, more chances in the future. You live in Texas. We're here in California. But as we've told our listeners before, whenever you're out here, we try to make an opportunity. And it's always a real pleasure for us to have you in the studio. It's a privilege to come. Thanks, Chris. Our time is up. As I said, let us give you the uh, toll-free number. Invite you to contact us to receive the printed material that supplements this program. It's 1-888-LIFE-STUDY, 888-543-3788. Join us again tomorrow. We'll continue the Life Study of 1 Corinthians. For Gary Evans, I'm Chris Wild. Thank you very much for listening today. New Testament is a marvelous and clear revelation of God's purpose and plan. In 1984, Witness Lee spoke a series of 51 messages based on God's New Testament economy, which is his plan to dispense himself into his chosen, redeemed, and regenerated people as their life and everything to produce the body of Christ, which is his corporate expression as golden lampstands in this age and ultimately as the new Jerusalem for eternity. These messages have been printed in the book God's New Testament Economy. God's New Testament Economy by Witness Lee from Living Stream Ministry is available at Christian bookstores everywhere.